no, 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 Hey everybody, this episode coming up here is with the great Vince Gill. We love Vince, the greatest country guitar player, the most decorated country guitar player and singer of all times and most awards. We also have David Becker, great jazz guitar player, and Nick Dias. Also, after the episode, stick around for what we are playing. It's our new thing, and we're going to tell you about the guitars that the guys were playing on the uh, podcast, and I think you're going to dig it. I'm an old pipeliner, I'll lay my line all day. Well, I'm an old pipeliner, I'll lay my line all day. I got a little bit of chill on waiting to draw my pay. Like a one-eyed cat peeping in the seafood store. I'm like a one-eyed cat peeping in the seafood store. You don't want me around, baby, I won't mess around with you no more. Cause I'm an old pipeliner, I lay my line all day. I'm an old pipeliner, lay my line all day. I got a little bit of chill on the way to draw my pay. Norm over here, and I am amidst some real greatness. I've got uh, my buddy David Becker, one of the great jazz guitar players of all time. 
I've got Nick Dias, our own Nick Dias, playing acoustic guitar, killing it, and the great Vince Gill, my buddy. And I'm so honored, buddy, that you have agreed to do this. And uh, Vince is one of the most recognizable and plays so many styles so well. And he's the most decorated country artist, I believe, of all time. And that's not just for guitar playing, but that's for vocals. If you were wearing an army suit and you had like stripes every time they gave you an award, you wouldn't be able to walk. It'd be a, be a big, big, uh, big uniform. Flash <laughs> of the full grown men. That's right. Well, you know, I just got to say, and one thing I, I just want to bring up is that, you know, it was really, really sweet of uh, Vince to just say when I asked him if he would do this, he was right on it. And, you know, I've known Vince since the 70s when he was with Pure Prairie League and when he lived out here. And now uh, he's living in Nashville, but he's out here playing with a, a group. What's that group called again? Yeah, Calling the Eagles, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew it was some kind of bird group. Took you know? me yeah. 60 years to get a good gig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let me tell you, he is the logical fit for that band oh, because yeah. vocally and instrumentally, he is the perfect guy. I mean, I don't know what they would do if they didn't find you. Yeah. And you must have been like, you know, on everybody's lips the minute that that... Uh, spot came available and uh so you're out here doing the um some rehearsals for mm -hmm. yeah uh you where are you guys going to be playing well uh we're playing a couple of a couple of shows in uh, vegas at uh, mgm grant and you know back to getting to do this you know it's uh it really came because of a tragedy the passing of glenn and my longtime right. friend and and I, I think a lot of people really didn't even expect the band to to press on without glenn and then I think they all kind of came to the realization that these songs are really important to people, maybe even more so than the people singing them. And so everybody's been really gracious about welcoming me and letting me be a part of this. And, you know, I know better than anybody I'd rather hear Glenn sing these songs, but, but yeah. that's not possible. But, so. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's this, mm -hmm. this band is such an American treasure and, mm -hmm. and one of the most legendary bands worldwide of all time. So, yep. And the songs are what you're... Honoring, really. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Right. That's what's going to live forever, not us. So. Yeah. Well, the thing that's so well, cool hopefully. is that, you know, <laughs> there, there's very few bands that you could go to see a, an evening performance and kind of know almost every tune <laughs> yeah, there and love yeah. every tune. I mean, you know, a lot of bands, they have a couple of hits and then a lot is filler. Um, not so with Eagles. I mean, it's no. like seeing the Beatles or Well, the it Stones is. I mean, or, it's, you know. you're, you're, you're in the, 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 the highest echelon of, of what... What really makes people timeless are their songs, you know, and that's right. the great separator in in most artistry. That's why James Taylor is still relevant today. Yeah, songs, James Taylor. Songs are brilliant, you know, and, and it goes on on and on and on. Everywhere you go, people that are still out there doing it, it's because they had great songs. Yeah, it's, and, it's part of the fabric of, yeah. of, of that tradition of American songwriting, isn't it? And great taste. I mean, like, uh, you know, when the Beatles, when George Harrison would take a solo in the Beatles, it was as important as the song itself. I mean, exactly he just right. played the perfect yeah, stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, that goes back to what we talked about in the shop, about about jazz and all these styles, is the songs. Yeah. That's why people still play All the Things You Are, and it's how many years old, you know? Right. Those, those composers, man. You know, and it's the same way that's that generation, the Beatles and now the Eagles and all that stuff. It, it, it has such an impact musically that... It's bigger than than the people making it, as you said. 
And Dave, you're you're primarily known for jazz playing, but you yeah, but originally I, started playing sure, rock like I'm every a big other young fan. kid. I'm a big fan of Vince. I mean, I I got to see you play with Pure, uh, Pure Perry League and oh, wow. followed you for a long time. And um, you're that old, man. Well, I had... you know, I was I was in diapers. You know, yeah, yeah, I, me too. We will be again. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was depends. I think. <laughs> Actually, so how old were you when you joined Pure Prairie League? Uh, I think you were a youngster, right? Twenty-one, twenty, twenty-one, wow. something like that. I moved out here at nineteen uh, to play with a great uh, musician named Byron Berline. I don't know if you wow, remember. Absolutely. That. But I was a young bluegrass um, kid and and loved playing that kind of music and. Just kind of stumbled into the Pure Prairie League gig after a couple of years with Byron, and um, and then just kind of always had dreams and aspirations to be an, an artist myself someday, and um, jumped into the world of country music in the early '80s. Tell people I couldn't prove it. I made records for a long time, but couldn't prove it because nobody had them. But I, I, still, <laughs> I kind of kept after it, and everything worked out. But that must have been uh, quite a proving ground, the Pure Prairie League at, at, at age of 21. Yeah, wow. I was, mean that was. It was fun. I mean, I we had a big hit when I was in the band called Let Me Love You Tonight. It yeah. probably wasn't as big a hit as Amy, of course, but um, it was fun because all of a sudden I was on American Bandstand and yeah. wow. on Solid Gold and all these. Everybody had a talk show, Mike Douglas and Merv Griffin and John Davidson and Tony Tennille and hundreds of them. It, sem- wow. and it felt like we did all of them. You know? Yeah. You probably did, didn't well, you? Well, we might have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and one thing that's, you know, you were talking about Byron, but, I mean, you know, the one thing, uh, you know, about your career, and I, I've known you since you were a young man, and, I mean, we don't see each other that often because you're in Nashville now and all that, but um, I have to say you've played with all of your uh, idols and legendary people that you've um, admired your whole life. Yeah, my my real, if I had a dream as a young as a young musician, I wanted to be a session player. I didn't have the hairbrush in the mirror trying to be Elvis, you know. I, I had my head down. I was trying to figure out how to learn. I don't know. I saw some guitar. videos of you back in the day, like <laughs> Elijah used hairbrush. You were, uh, you know, you were kind <coughs> of a strapping lad, looking, you know, kind of guy. I was pretty for a minute, but uh, but through all of that, what I really wanted to do was was be a, a supporting cast kind of guy, and. To date, I think I've worked on maybe over a thousand artist records, wow. playing and singing, and and even though I, I had a nice run of success, I didn't want to stop doing what I'd always loved doing was just being part of the process, and and that's one thing Don said about hiring me to to play with the band. He said he knows how to be in a band. Yeah, you know it just makes sense. And I was say all those so, pictures, you always had a Telecaster strapped around you. Yeah, neck, I like that you? old yeah, white telly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people love that thing. Have you still got that one? Of course. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of guitars, right? Yes, from you as well. Uh, there you go. Uh, thank you. It's not an advertising. We don't advertise at Norm's Rag Guitars. Well, maybe sometimes maybe we, we just do. did. But, yeah, <laughs> there you go. We did. So, you know, one thing I wanted to say, too, and, uh, you know, I saw this a while back, and, it, uh, you know, I was, you know, really touched by it. Um you're a really soulful singer, and I mean country music and R&B, and I've always been more of an R&B guy, um, but there's, a, you know, the soulfulness and the truthfulness of it is something that I think it's Americana and it's American music at its finest. I think they're the same. Yeah. I've always felt like they were the same, and, you know, it's a little bit different groove, you know, right. just all of that, but um, there was a great learning experience of that. Uh, in the early 60s when Ray Charles did a record of all country songs. Right. And he went to his his folks and record company and everybody and said, I want to make a country record. 
this was 1961, 1962, and they said, you're out of your mind. Why on earth would you? Because, you know, most people would would see those two worlds as far apart as possible, and they really never were. That's what bears out in this documentary that Ken Burns has done on country music. And but the record Ray did what it did. It gave it gave country music maybe its greatest. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word to use, but Crossover. affirmation. Affirmation. It gave uh, it gave a, a really great affirmation to how soulful country music really was and when put in the hands of a soul singer. You know, yeah. and they said, "Why do you want to do a country record?" And he goes, "I like the stories." There you go. I like the stories they tell in those songs. Same thing Charlie Parker used to say. He said he'd load up the jukebox with nickels and play nothing but country music. And all the cats would say, what are you doing? He goes, man, I love the stories. I love the stories. And you uh, got to play and um, with who I think is the most soulful country singer of all time, your buddy George Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it is. It's ridiculously how soulful. He sang, you know, yeah. and on par with anybody in in an R and B world, or, or you know. But like I said, when we start, when we can when we can tear down all the perceptions we sometimes have of what something is, of what we have to identify it. We're we're such creatures of habit that we have to know what labels label on our jeans, you know, that we can <laughs> yeah, wear yeah. that they're cool or this or that. But man, close your eyes and just listen. But when you and, get down to the DNA yeah, of it, it's amen. a lot of shared. Mm-hmm. Chromosomes and and, and the tr- and the real the real beauty of it is is it all stems from hard times. Mm. Yep. It all you know country music R and B none of that was a bunch of fat cats that were knocking it out of the park. It was all people that were struggling to get by. That was the great thing about and, that yeah, Ken I mean, Burns was, thing, and, mm. and you were talking about Hank Williams on that. And uh, man, that was a hard scrabble life they came yeah. from, wasn't it? They all came from the hardest of hard times. Yeah. Well, you know, um, and and this probably is true for a lot of young folks that, you know, idolize you guys and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, be careful of what you wish for because everybody's got some heartache in their life. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's stuff that, you know, we all face. There's always some trouble, whether it's having a broken heart or, you know, you expecting something from somebody in your family that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, you, you, you would like to be able to control all that kind of stuff, but it doesn't. So people go, boy, I wish I was Vince Skill. And, you know, what do you say to somebody like that? Well, I just think that the, the real gift that I've been given from music as a listener, just as a listener, is I want to be moved. By music, I don't yeah. want to be impressed. Yeah. You know, yeah. when when somebody can move me with just a the subtlest of things, that's what creates emotion. You know, and music was was meant to be emotional. I, I I'm not, I've never been the party song guy, and and you know yeah. all that. I just I love the melancholy, and I go to music for um to feed. You know, yeah. the soul. Well, it brings that out of you, but I think you have to have words. Yeah, but you have to have a little bit of that pain in your life, I think, to kind of you know just be able to relate to it and pass it along. I mean, there's so many great songs and so many great lines, but think about Hank Williams, you know. Yeah. Why can't I free your doubtful mind and melt your cold, cold Cold heart? heart. (laughs) It's like well, uh, all right there, doesn't it? Well, and kind of lightening up the uh, uh, conversation of taste. uh, You have a tune that cracks me up. Uh, (laughs) Don't want to kiss the lips. It's hard to kiss the lips at night that chew your ass out all day long. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, and that is so great. What's the story behind that? Because that uh, it's so cool. Well, it's a song I wrote with Rodney Crowell, 
Rodney's the first guy I met when I moved to uh, to Los Angeles in 1976. And uh, it's actually something my father said, you know, in, really? in jest. He said, you need to write this song, son. And, <laughs> and, and it was a crack up. And I promised him I would, and I never did. And he passed away. And and I was well, you honored it, yeah. And I was hanging out with Rodney one day, and we we're stuck on a song. And and uh, I said, you know, my dad had a neat idea for a song, and I told Rodney the title. He couldn't could pick him up off the floor. <laughs> goes, That's way better than what we're working on. Let's finish it for your dad. So, could you could you do just a little bit of that, man? Oh, I mean, God. I'm sorry to throw it at you, but it, it's so cool. She used to call me baby. I thought she was such a lady. But my, how things have changed since time's moved on. I'd give her my last dollar, but now all she'll do is holler. Oh, my life has become a country song. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, uh, it's, it was a, it's blank. I found out. So I just throw um, him on the spot here. Yeah, know, but throw uh, him right in the fire. It gets you know. to, you know, this and that, and then, it's, then he finally sings. But it's hard to kiss the lips at night. Chew your ass out all day long. <laughs> yeah. And then talking about uh, the wife's ass, you know, yeah, uh, well. there was another, uh, you could land a small plane on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's, uh, you know. Just some good, just some good natured hillbilly humor. How much fun was that working with Rodney Crowell? Well, we, we made, unfortunately, we made a video of that song. <laughs> I love and it. And we both I, dressed up I, in drag to be, yeah. to be oh, each really? other's girlfriend. Yeah, because we didn't. We're too self-respecting to, to ask a woman to play a, a yeah, role in that song. I should think so, yeah. <laughs> no, you have that goatee now. You weren't uh, you weren't sporting that right there. And then. No. Uh, there I'm go. just covering up a chin, Norton. <laughs> no, there you go. <laughs> no, there were a few bands covered that song as well, weren't Really? It? Yeah, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was yeah. crack up. I remember it got nominated for a Grammy. I was sitting with Rodney, and in the same row was Quentin Tarantino He's yeah. sitting next to us. And they're announcing with the big voice of God, mm-hmm. and nominated for Song of the Year, and went through all the listings. And it's hard to kiss the lips at night, to chew your ass out all day long. <laughs> and Quentin just fell on the floor. And just, That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> well, we just wanted to lighten up the conversation. Up I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be great. And, you know, my buddy David over here, he has played with a lot of uh, jazz luminaries and all that. And uh, some of the people you've played with. Oh, yeah, I worked with Ron Carter. Uh, worked with Pat Metheny. Um, just a whole bunch of people. Joe DiOrio. Joe DiOrio, uh, Larry Coriel, uh, all the guitar guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, well, and other guys, too, um, over the years. Uh, I've had the great pleasure to share the stage with Miles. Oh, wow. Chick Korea. So that was my yeah. first big gig was opening up for Miles Davis when I was 22 or 23. So. Well, it, it's such, it, this this area of the world has just spawned so many off-the-charts great musicians and guitar players. I moved out here at 19. The first person I went to see was Larry Carlton, oh, okay. the Santa Monica Civic. And it, well, if that uh, didn't discourage you, you know. <laughs> oh, man, no, it was so inspiring just to hear the sound and, the, and all of that, that, what he did. And I immediately, I had a, 335 that I got when I was 10, my oh, yeah. parents got for me, had the trapeze tailpiece and all that stuff. And I immediately went to somebody and said, please put a stop tailpiece on this thing. So <laughs> I want to be I just get like that Larry. Yeah. yeah. That's it. But yeah, I mean, you go to the baked potato and hear him and Robin Ford, and a guy named Carlos Vega. There was so oh, yeah, many great, great players here. It was like, 
Robin's a good buddy of mine. He, yeah. he actually played at my daughter's wedding. Oh, it was yeah. kind of cool. He's know? he's become a Nashvilleian now. He's yeah. He's taken the plunge. He's moved to Nashville. He was we in like Ohio, some... and you yeah. know, and like uh, it's kind of like a hippy dippy area there. You know, down by uh, Santa Barbara. Now there's and... a guitar player. Oh yeah, I just oh, hold yeah. one. One of the most, <laughs> uh, one of the most tasteful, and yeah, buddy, and he's he's singing real good too, yeah. you know. So, but uh, you know, one thing I wanted to bring up is that uh, you know I'm buddies with Joe Bonamassa and his bass player Michael Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we talk about music a lot because he likes a lot of R&B and stuff like that. And uh, I played him this thing from these girls, the Queeby sisters, you know, because I figured he might dig that. And his answer to me, and he loved it, was, man, you got to see the time jumpers. And yeah. tell us about them. You know, what, what the deal Well, it's a, it, basically, it's a Western swing band, you know, very reminiscent of what Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys were in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and that era of of great swing music, you know, even country music had a big band element of being inspired by Basie and those kinds of people. And they just, they didn't necessarily have brass instruments on top, but they had voicings, voicings and, and fiddles and steel Play guitars. And yeah. yeah. And, and it was kind of a little more Western interpretation of big band music. Yeah. And uh, Paul Franklin, Paul Franklin, the three fiddlers, and it's a big band. There's 11 wow. of us. And, we just go play the music we love and miss. Oh, you know? and, that's fun. And it's interchangeable a little bit, too, depending on who's in town. Yeah, right? I mean, get, everybody's working. I've been gone a bunch, so they every now and then they'll get us. Uh, everybody's subable, I guess. There's <laughs> 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 a great story, my favorite story out here. Dear friend of mine, Emery Gordy, was a great bass player, played with Elvis and Emmy Lou and all these great people. And he was on a date with all the big shots, and and it was a film date, and it wasn't a lot of fun. and. And he, after the first run through, he stands up and he says, "Is it too late to get a sub?" And Tommy, <laughs> and Tommy Tedesco looked over and says, "Sit down, you are one." <laughs> Tommy was uh, Tommy was a great guy. He was a friend yeah. of mine too. I th- I, I, now that you brought up Tommy, I got to tell you one kind of funny story with Tommy. Uh, Tommy was a notorious gambler. And he was kind of a wild man. He was he was hysterically funny, and he was probably at the time that he was live. I don't know if anybody has surpassed this now, but he was the most recorded guitar player yeah. of all time. And he came into my store one day, and he said, "Norm, you know, all my stuff is in cartage. I need like just that inexpensive classical that plays." And uh, I said, uh, "Tommy, you know, I I just got this thing." Uh, you know, I paid a hundred bucks for it. It's just some cheap no name, but it actually plays and sounds good. And Tommy said, uh, I'll tell you what, I'll play you gin to 200 and I'll either give you 200 bucks for it or you give it to me for nothing. And I figured, you know, all I could lose is a hundred bucks and I'd have a story with Tommy. Hey, Tedesco, so I said, what the hell? You know, so I played him and I beat him and Tommy was a really good gin player, but that day the cards were coming my way. Right. So, I have the story, and I got the and 200, 200 bucks. bucks. Yeah, so. But he was a character and a half, and uh, what a great player. And yeah. If you ever saw the movie The Wrecking Crew, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's some really great stuff in there, and his son did it kind mm-hmm. of as a tribute to him. That's right. Yeah. It's a great, great, great movie. And it's just one of those ones that everybody should see. Some of the best playing that I saw Tommy do was on the Fernwood Tonight. Do you remember that show? I, had it. Oh, I yeah. watched it all the wow. time. That was unbelievable. That was Martin Mull. He, yeah. Martin Mull, yeah. You'll love this. Martin Mull got to play the Grand Ole Opry one time, yeah. 30, 40 years ago. And, and uh, he went out on stage with a big, giant jazz box, you know. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, he goes, 
I'd like to do something right now that's never been done at the Grand Old Opry. So I'd like to play a major seventh. Chord. <laughs> <laughs> it was so inside, but so yeah, funny. So I love watching that. He was that. a character. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and that firm we denied. It turned into America tonight. Yeah, I asked I asked Tommy about that, how he got the gig and how that was, and he said they wanted a guy who looked like he played guitar at night and was a lumberjack. <laughs> you know, and Colin Bailey on drums, man, it was amazing. Yeah, uh, Frank Duvall, yeah. Was it Happy Kind and the Mirthmakers? Yeah, Mirthmakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I he love was, that show. That yeah, was, I don't know if that was, was that nationwide or was that just down no, here? No, it was just around here, I think. I, no, wow. it, went, it did it. They syndicated it eventually. Yeah. That's when they went to America tonight and it became this. Cool. Thing. So let me ask you something. You guys, I know you're going to stick around because this is a really good one. And these guys can really play. Can you guys just take us out with a little bit of something? You know, Vince, just start something, see if these guys can uh, follow. And uh, we'll just yeah, take they'll, out. they'll have a hard time, won't they? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. Uh, please stick around, guys. You're going to love this. The great Vince Gill, David Becker, and Nick Dias. The face of an angel. Pretty eyes to shine I lie awake at night Wishing you were mine I'm standing here holding Biggest heartache in town Whenever you come around Oh, I get weak in the knees And I lose my breath Oh, I try to speak, but the words won't come. I'm so scared to death. When you smile, that smile, the world turns upside down. Whenever you come around. Absolutely beautiful. Guys, stick around. There's more wow. coming. Uh, Vince, thank you so much again. Hey, I buddy. can't thank you enough. Nick, David, thank yeah, you guys. It's a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Go to allguitarnetwork.com or go to the App Store and download the All Guitar Network. It's free, and you get to see these podcasts for free the following week. The podcast will be on a Tuesday. The following Tuesday, you'll see the video at the All Guitar Network exclusively. Good, buddy. Hey, we're back at the Norm's Rare Guitars podcast. Some of the greatest players 
on earth right here sitting around me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm adding a little mediocrity to some greatness here. So, but uh, I, I love it. And I love being around these guys. And, you know, I've been blessed all my life to be around some fantastic musicians. And like with Vince, I mean, I knew Vince when uh, he was a younger man and I was still old, I think, at that time. I don't know. But I've got to watch how you know, his career has kind of blossomed over the years and it's just so cool to watch. And I've seen that with a lot of people. I'm, I'm buddies with Lenny Kravitz. I've seen that kind of happen with him and Joe Bonamassa I've known since he was like 12 years old. And, you know, it's just really cool to see this happen. I've been blessed being in California, being at the center of the music universe and having guitars, which is kind of like, I'm almost like a dope dealer to all these guys. <laughs> yeah. I kind of hate to the say pusher, it. The pusher, the pusher yeah. man. Yeah. So, um, That's you know, so I've known these guys as they were coming up and all that. And, you know, a lot of them, you know, I recognize the great talent right from the beginning. And then to see their careers kind of, kind of blossom and just kind of take off like it, it has with you, Vince. I mean, it's just, it's great to see. It's really heartwarming. And I'm, I'm, really privileged to have been able to see a lot of this stuff happen. Well, uh, let me interject something. I don't want to talk about you in front of you, but Vince is one of those people like Tom Petty was that sort of hits every generation from like, you know, the punk rock generation, everything on with rock and rollers, country people, because you've straddled all these different types of music and you've always been there with that Telecaster around your, around your <laughs> neck, rocking away. It's, it's like, Everybody digs it, you know what I mean? I just, you know, I'm a, I'm a chameleon. I yeah. love all of it, and I think that's that's just me. You know, there's some people that only like jazz, some people that only like country music, some people that only like R&B, but not me. You know, if it's great, I'll I'll, I'll find something great. Was there any particular era, like when when from Pure Prairie League and the Cherry Bombs, was there any particular time you were like, wow, this is really where I'm at? Well, I just think that I... I'm glad I grew up in the era I grew up in. I'm 62, and I got to see the tail end of the the best of the stuff of the 50s, and and right. then the British invasion, and then the you know them them kind of reinvigorating a lot of black blues music, you know, yeah, Mark Waters and people like that, and them loving that and kind of shining a light on them again, and and it just kind of how it's always been kind of back and forth, and everybody and kind of. Loving something they do and being inspired by it. And I think that was almost kind of the, uh, us Brits' job was to recycle some of your music and shine a light back on it and go, man, this is fantastic. We did that <laughs> with country a lot as sure, well. I exactly. mean, there's Carl so Perkins many. and people like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, but, you know. Uh, but there's it, so many English people that love country music. Yeah. And, you know, that's a. Has country always been a, a, the bigger influence, or I don't know about that. I think, like I said, it's been it's been all of it because I was the youngest the kid in in our family. I had a big brother and a big sister, and my mom and dad. So it was a long time before I could kind of find my own way to buy my own records. So right. I did had they to play listen. music too? Oh, anybody else? Yeah. Family, right? My dad play, played poorly. You know, he loved to play, but wasn't great and had a nice voice. He could have been in, in a band with me, probably. <laughs> you know, <so>. yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, my grandmother played piano, and uh, she was. That's my first memory of ever hearing music was her playing "How Great Thou Art" on the piano, a great old hymn. And yeah. so it was just all around. My big brother would would kind of play chords for me when I was learning, and I could learn to play these little lead things. And um, you know, so I heard it all. Yeah. You know? 
And, uh, you know, Nick was mentioning that uh, Telecaster, but, uh, you know, I have seen you with so many guitars, and I know you're involved with Songbirds, which is a terrific yeah. museum in Chattanooga, and I've seen some of the pictures of some of this stuff, and I've sold some guitars to you guys down yeah. there, and uh, it's pretty amazing. It's worth seeing, right? Yeah, they just asked me if I would kind of be a spokesperson for it, a little bit of an ambassadorship kind of thing, and... And uh, I never, you know, had nothing to do with the collection or putting it together or all. But if anybody that's nuts about these instruments, they should go see that because this guy amassed a remarkable collection of instruments. Wow. And, and it was all pristine instruments. There no refins, no you know, this or that or alterations. Um, tell me tell me something that, um, you know, I've seen you with so many guitars yourself. Yeah. Um, I would ask you, you know, some of your favorites, but I know there's a lot of different ones, right? Well, there is. You know, I mean, I'm, he mentioned that white tally. I got that 41 years ago, oh, wow. a little music store, and it's my first Telecaster. And I'd always, you know, I'd heard James Burton play and Albert Lee play, and I just was in love with the sound and the way those guys played. Was reminiscent, thing, yeah, yeah. was reminiscent of bluegrass picking and flat picking and stuff. So it really, it made sense to me, and and uh, so I, that's the first Telecaster I bought, and I bought another dozen, fifteen Blackguards yeah. since then, and none of them came with for the me white one back in yeah, the day. You know, a fifty-seven. I still have yeah. that. I played that with Roseanne all the time and Rodney, um, oh. and and then I, you know, little by little, I pick up something great. I've got a really neat fifty-nine slabboard Strat that. Dwayne Eddy's son sold me that Dwayne wow. had brand new in 1959. And cool. It's wow. best sound I've ever that's heard. That's good problem. Yeah, I've heard you so play that one. That just, sounds amazing. I try to find, you know, I'm always trying to up the game a little bit and find mm. a better one if I can. You you don't like acoustic guitars, do you? I only a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I figure, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a toy guy. I don't have another house somewhere. I don't have a boat. I don't have cars. I just buy old guitars. You know, I yeah. love them and I've got a great collection and they, I get to write them off my taxes, and I use them. They, they get a to have a practical kind life. of fella. Yeah. I mean, they have a musical life. But tell me, tell me some. What is the kind of the thing about the old instruments with you that you love them so much? You know, because there's, you know, it's sort of there's kind of you can't really describe in words exactly what it is that the old guitars have that the new ones don't. And they're making some great guitars now. Yeah, they are. Yeah, some of the makers are making fine guitars, but I, I think most people point back to the old wood. You know, yeah. those instruments were made with really old wood, old growth wood. And there, there's no more old growth wood anymore. They're just so, full of character, aren't they? Yeah, and it's all, it's, they're so old by the time they became guitars that, that there's just something special about them. And I know that, you know, a lot of people would say a lot of the big companies, to make more money, they made more instruments. They started, like with Martin, I was told that um, between 1833 and 1997, they made 750,000 instruments total wow. in 160 years. And in the last 20 years, they've made twice that many. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. And, well, you know, but they're I, making some of the best stuff they've made in 50 yeah. years right now. Right. Yeah. And I, I think what's kind of cool, uh, you know, it'll take a little while to age. I mean, they have that artificial aging thing, which is cool. And their instruments are really good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is no. Um, replacement for wood that was 100 years old before it ever became an, an instrument. No. And, yeah, and, and uh, like that Telecaster. Yeah. That's the thing, too. I, I, I worked with Chris Martin from Martin Guitars. Yeah. I did clinics with him when I was a kid and um, learned a lot about guitar building. And, you, I mean, you can put an old D45 in a case and put it under a bed, but if it's not played, 
it's yeah. not going to work itself in. So you yeah. need to, those guitars were played. Those they need to vibrate. Guitars. They need to live yeah. and breathe. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, and they were made for so, Telecasters, does it? Well, you're, you're, well, you know what's funny? Ash buddy. What's funny is you can you can take ten of them all from the same year and they all they sound all different. Sound different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now exactly. everything is those CNC machines, so they kind of try to get a certain formula and kind of try to duplicate exactly. And it's machines that are building them. But back in the day, it were these guys that were craftsmen and they were building individual guitars, and every one of them had something slightly different. Well, it was a guy eyeballing it. I mean, they were doing it sort yeah. of the best the best tapping they it could for without, tone. Yeah, but here's here's the real. There's the real affirmation to me, is it's all about these. Oh yeah, you know, I don't care course. what guitar you have. You're exactly if you can't right. play it. I mean, I can you take know. that guitar he's playing, and I'm going to sound like me. He could take right. this guitar; he's mm -hmm. going to sound yeah. like him. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to take both guitars. <laughs> and I'm going to sound like me. So, uh, but that's what's beautiful, you know. A guitar yeah. kind of makes you play it like it wants to be played. Right. Yeah, and you know, maybe not as hard as you'd like to play because it doesn't. Doesn't respond. You know the Chet Atkins story about Chet playing the guitar and someone oh, said, yeah. "Man, that guitar sounds great." And Chet put it on the sofa and said, "How's, How's it sound? How's it sound now? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, I was like Mick Ronson as well. You know, yeah. uh, one of our English guitar mm -hmm. greats. He was the same. He could pick up a thirty-dollar telly and it, it just sounded. Wow, right. that was Mick yeah. right there. Yeah, so much in the it's hands. all in the fingers, it's isn't in it? The yeah. Mitts. yeah, yeah. I think the the finer instruments allow you to to do what you do. That's just what it is. If if it allows you to express yourself and your personality comes through, then of course the instrument is a vehicle. But you know, it's like like Vince said, we can play any guitar and sound like us. Well, it's in the hands, but it's also in the brain a bit too, because I mean, it's um, you know. You think about what you play, and you know there's guys who can just run scales and blaze, but it doesn't do anything for me. I mean, for mm -hmm. me personally, no. it's great that they can do it, but you know it's like what we we're saying with George Harrison or Mike Campbell with Tom Petty or uh, Joe Walsh with the Eagles and any of those guys. It's they think musically, mm -hmm. and that is what's so cool. It's you're exactly right. You can hum. You can hum the majority of, of the solos on an Eagles record or a Beatles record yeah. or a Credence record, you know, and, yep. and they weren't, it wasn't about, you know, I got that lesson right off the bat when I started doing sessions and, you know, somebody, I was playing something and, and I played my little thing and the guy pushed the talk back. He said, that was great, man. That's really great. So let's try it again. So this time, play me half of what you know. <laughs> and it was just such a great learning experience, yeah. you know? Dumb it you, up a little bit. If you can say if you can say what needs to be said with three notes, why would you play six right. or nine or 12, yeah. uh, you know? Well, it's, uh, it's a great thing. And, you know, I just wanted to talk about the instruments. And then I want to talk about this Ken Burns documentary. Because, yeah. again, it is so good. And everything he, he does is amazing. I mean, yeah. you said how long was he working on that? The the country music eight and a half years. Wow, yeah. yeah. And uh, as a as a somebody that's lived the majority of their life in the world of country music, you know, um, we got looked down upon pretty seriously in our history. You know, even in the earliest days, the Dust Bowl days, when people migrated out here just to try to make a living and feed their families. You know, they were called Okies, and it was meant as a derogatory term. You know, they didn't mean it kindly. Right, yeah. but you know what. What about the blues musicians? What exactly. about the jazz musicians? I know, but jazz I, musicians still take a lot of crap. <laughs> Even for me, I I take this Spinal Tap joke, and I always say it. I say the jazz musicians try to avoid all the good notes, so, <laughs> but but I don't mean it because I mean I really do love jazz yeah. and great anything is ready. But they, none of it got respect in the beginning. Not right? really, and and that's what's beautiful about the way Ken and his team told this story. It's almost been going for a hundred years, close to a hundred years. 
and it finally gave us some dignity. It gave us some respect. It gave us, uh, it gave us a a really, a really beautiful uh, interpretation because he wasn't one of us in a sense. You know, if he would have been one of us that would have been a big country music fan his whole life, it might have been a little slanted towards this or slanted towards that. And he just told the truth, yeah. which is really refreshing. And uh, the other thing that really comes to light in this documentary is within the community of musicians, of creative people. There was never a color line. There was never a segregation yep. problem. It was, I love what you play. Jimmy Rogers learned everything he learned from black field workers. Yeah. And A.P. Carter had a black gentleman that went with him to find songs. T. Tot Payne was the guy that taught Hank Williams how to play the guitar, a black gentleman. Right. And D. Ford was... Bailey, one of the first Opry stars, was a black gentleman. Lil Hardin played on Jimmy Rogers' records, who was married to Louis Armstrong. And it it just, throughout the entire history of this, it paints that so eloquently yeah. and that it makes you was proud. fascinating. Musicians about, didn't the, uh, see the color. Uh-uh. And, the, you the know, Opry tour when they took the, uh, the when they took that gentleman you just mentioned out, and they said, "Well, if he's not eating here, none of us are eating here." Right, that's exactly. Well, you know, know, Don Peak, you know, was uh, you know, his buddy of mine, and we were talking, and we did a podcast with Don, and Don said um, he got a call from uh, Ray Charles' handler or his uh, manager or yeah. whoever was hiring the musicians. And he called Don, and they were trying out a whole bunch of guitar players. And the whole band was entirely black. And uh, when the guy said uh, to Don, you know, how would you like to play with the Ray Charles band? Don said, well, I'm white. And he said, Ray, don't give a damn, man. You know, if you can play, we want you. And that was kind of, you know, and it went in all directions. Yeah, it's the way it should always have been. You know, that's an ugly part of our history that I wish we could— uh, yeah, absolutely. Fix, you know. Well, to how long have you been a member of the the Grand Old Opry? Uh, almost thirty years, close wow. to thirty years. And that's affirmation itself, right? I mean, uh, you must a, have, that must just, have been a good day. Yeah, it's a great place. You know, it's what it does is it represents the entire history yeah. of our country music, and not just a period where somebody's hot, somebody's on the top of the charts. You'll go out there on a weekend and see. Uh, Jesse McReynolds or Bobby Osborne, both close to 90 years old, playing the mandolin. Wow. You'll see a kid that's 20 years old playing his first single. You'll see Connie Smith, who's been out there for 50 years. You'll see me. You'll see, you know, it's just... It's Connie such is a, Marty's wife, right? Yeah, I mean, it's such a wide gamut of of entertainment on a night that, that you couldn't, you know, you wouldn't see that anywhere in the world. Yeah, you know, but it seems diversity. like they've, they've been doing that for a long time. I love Since that. Since 1925. In, it, wow. I love that in the Ken Burns thing. It's like you can go do what you want during the week, but you make it back here yeah, for Saturday exactly. night. Well, the, in the old days, you if you were an Opry member, you had to make a mandatory number of appearances during yeah. the year, and they've dropped that. That doesn't make any sense anymore. But um, also the other thing that a lot of people don't realize about the Opry is its real intention was not so much to promote country music, but it was a it was an insurance company that owned the radio station, really? and they wanted to try to find a way to reach rural places to right. sell insurance. Really? So what are people in the rural communities like? They like fiddle music. They like, you know, hillbilly music as they called it. And so, the first Opry show in 1925 was just a man in a, with a fiddle playing fiddle tunes in a motel room in Nashville. Really? That's how it all got started. And. And it worked because wow. people started buying insurance. <laughs> well, going back to that, insurance of flower. that synergy of music, you know, Charlie Hayden and the Hayden family, uh-huh. you know, they were playing. Exactly those, right. He yeah. loved country music. Yeah, I worked on that record they did yeah. with him. And, you know, what a, yeah. 
there's somebody you once again when you start having that perception of seeing somebody that's this world-class jazz bass player you wouldn't think he has this great history and deep love for right. country music bluegrass music yeah. stuff like that so. but he his his playing whatever he played in you listen to charlie hayden it's charlie hayden i yeah. could listen to him play all day yeah he's he's amazing so there's no place like the opry for jazz guys well, other yeah, than these festivals know, right uh you know I, 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 I always, and I told Norman the other day, I never put a label on the music. I don't, I'm considered a jazz guy, but I have a catalog of 17 albums that has so much kind of music in exactly it that right. I don't really think about. And I, and it's with the audiences. I play a lot in Europe and South America and Asia. You go to festivals, there's people there that probably never even heard of Benny Goodman. Sure. You know, and they, they like what's going on. So I don't, you know, I don't, um, I don't second guess the music or the audience. It's like what you said. I just play what I like. Yep. I play for the fan that lives inside me. Well, people want to label everything. I mean, you know, if you're a, if you're a, you an artist limit. that's All you do is limit. too you, versatile, yeah. then, you know, that could be a curse. This. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't figured out what I can do yet, but <laughs> once I do, it's going to be dangerous, I think, you know, so I'm not sure. But uh, let me know if you spot anything good that I ever do. So um, so just tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, like uh, I, there was I saw something, you know, a while back where you were playing with Clapton and stuff. I mean, there's another kind of idol in a different genre. But I mean, what a great guitar player. And his his idol was J.J. Kale, who was a buddy of mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tunes like Lay Down Sally and stuff like that, that kind of yeah. Um, swampy. Feel. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, it, it it's interesting how how you learn your history. You don't just know your history. And it took somebody like Eric Clapton to hit me to who Robert Johnson was. Right. You know, yeah. and that's what happens in the way that you learn your history. And we met at the Grammys maybe 30 years ago. Huh. And uh, it was, I was sitting with Bonnie Raitt and we were watching the Grammys. Ruth Brown was there and we were having a great night. And um, all of a sudden the lights are dark and there's a figure in front of me. And I can't see the face or anything. And he sticks his hand out and he goes, Vince, I just want to induce myself. I'm a large fan of yours. And <laughs> he said, my name's Eric Clapton. I go, what? It's dark and... And so it was really neat to get to meet him. He said, I just love your playing. And um, and then about 15 years later, he started doing those Crossroads Guitar Festivals. Right. First one was in Dallas in 2004. I was there. Yeah. That was great. And so this was this was a couple of years after my curve of kind of hitting the top of the charts and playing a lot of my records and all that was waning. And I'm kind of going, what's next for me? What's 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 in store for me? And and I got a phone call from Eric. and. Uh, and I answered the phone, and he said, Vince, it's Eric Clapton. And I said, yeah, sure it is. Who's yanking my chain? You know, and he's laughing. He goes, no, it really, really is me. You know, and I said, well, whatever you want, the answer is yes. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, I'm doing a guitar festival and, uh, in Dallas, and I'm only inviting guitar players I like. Will you come and play? Oh, wow. Oh, and cool. so just getting that affirmation and, and that kind of uh, kindness was, was really powerful for me. He saw me for just what I was, was a musician, just a guitar yep. player. And I've gotten to do all those Crossroads festivals. There's one coming up uh, this weekend that we're going to do, and this will probably be the last one, more yeah. than likely. And that meant the world to me that I got to go rub shoulders with all those 
I was the token hillbilly, so the country guy. Yeah, not exactly. But it's been fun. But let me ask you, because you were were just saying, you know, that was a time where um, in your career it was kind of at a little lower ebb. But, I mean, you've been so prolific for so many years, and you've had stuff. I mean, do you ever get to a point where you sort of run out of ideas, and then all of a sudden, six months later, something comes, and you're inspired, and you're back, and all that kind of thing? Oh, I think so. I think creativity comes in waves. I don't think you're – that's the thing. You know, everybody thinks you're this – great songwriter and go, no, you didn't hear all the bad songs I wrote. You heard a handful of the good ones, you know, but there's a bunch that wound up in the desk drawer and never will, will be heard from again. And you you can't write yesterday every time you put pen yeah. to paper, you know. Yeah. So you just kind of I'd like to have just some of the bad ones that yeah, you wrote. I'd probably, I, I, I could have a career with that. I don't know if you could. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason they're not very good. Uh, well. <laughs> That's funny you said that, like you're the token country guy on those things because I, I know for a fact a lot of those guitar players in the Crossroads thing are like, wow, you should hear this guy on a Telecaster. <laughs> and that's another thing that, that I loved about the Ken Burns thing. Sorry to keep coming back to it, that's but right. listening to you play and like listening to Marty Stewart sitting there with that mandolin yeah. and you're like, wow, that that shows a lot of people the traditional the level of musicianship in bluegrass players, yeah. country players. I mean, it's so high. And there's and, and you were mentioning cross, Crossroads, and uh, my buddy Albert Lee yeah. has done that. And Albert, Albert's hero. a good guy. And, man, now, there's a country guitar player. He gets the Country Guitar Player Award, and he's from a different country. But, man, yeah, he yeah. can play the hell out of he that stuff. He can outplay all of us by a mile. Man, he is something else, isn't he? Yeah, English got, people love yeah. country music, man. I've known Albert since I moved here. And, you know, when I when I started playing with Rodney and I started playing with Emmy, Albert played so many of those records. Yeah, right. And I had to play. Albert's I had to learn what <laughs> Albert played, which was not easy. That made you <laughs> the musician that you are today. Well, it helped a lot, but but he's he's... He might stand the tallest of them all to no, me he is because else. Yeah. I remember when I first started playing with Rodney and, and and he told Roseanne he said you should let Vince play with you too and she goes ah, I don't think so I don't I I've kind of you know and and then Albert was gone and she said here's the thing we did the first rehearsal and the first solo she said you just torched it you just torched it and I and she said I couldn't give it to you I said oh, I got lucky. <laughs> so then the next song, said, you torched it too. And she goes, okay. She stopped rehearsal. She goes, I got to give it to you. I didn't think you could do this. And well, not many people could. Yeah, so. but but it was, you know. And he plays uh, he plays a baritone guitar, a six-string bass mm-hmm. or whatever you'd want to call it. And I, I've never heard anybody. You know, I, I, I oftentimes kind of wondered what that instrument was all about because a lot of times it's sort of doubling a line or something like that on records or one, you know, Sort of distinct line, but he, when when I heard him play that for the first time, I went, "That's what that instrument's all about." Well, he he plays the way he plays, you know, all this chicken picking kind of countryish uh, style playing. It, he's so to me so far above the rest of us in the way that he makes the instrument dance. Yeah, yeah. His his playing always dances. It's yeah. always it's got this this role and this dance to it that nobody can touch. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of a kind. Yep. But he's a great respecter of uh, all those bluegrass musicians, oh, yeah. right? Uh, that's where he cupped a lot we're, of that We're going to play together at Crossroads. Oh, Saturday. fantastic. That's fabulous. Yeah. You know, uh, all those guys, you know, back in the day, you know, before the internet, everybody had to kind of, if you wanted to listen to a certain type of music, you had to maybe go to some 
far out record store to get the records that you wanted and all that. Now these kids, they can press a button on the uh, <laughs> internet and get whatever they want. You type in the most obscure thing and it pops up and, you know, it gives these kids such a tremendous head start. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, everybody that complains about it, I go, hey, we used to get where we were going by horseback. You wouldn't want to do that again, <laughs> would you? Yeah. <laughs> Borrow a cassette from somebody. Yeah. Well, it took a lot of hard work. Yeah. You know? So, well, I, I just have to say, David, David Becker, Nick Dias, and the great Vince Gill. Thank you guys so much. As yeah, this man. has been like, you know, one of the most remarkable podcasts. And I hope you people out there get it and like what we're doing because um, it's, you can get it wherever you're po- you get your podcast. You can see it, uh, the video of this, live the following week that it airs at the All Guitar Network. And it's really like a bunch of good friends talking and you know I wanted it to be something where it's not like a reporter interviewing people yeah. I mean I've seen some of these guys for many years and I kind of feel like we have rapport and I hope people get that I mean it just feels good having you around and I, I'm glad that you're out here in California you're not here as often as you can be and David's always out on the road in Europe touring and all that kind of stuff but you know having having guys like that you know just come by and that's the one beauty of being in California in Los Angeles if I was in some you know remote place this could never happen and I'm grateful that I've been so lucky my whole life we're all we're all grateful that, that you're there, Norm. <laughs> well, yeah. you got you got old mates. That the, the neat thing about a community of of music people is, you cannot see somebody for five years, ten years, and you just pick up right where you left off. I've right. got some of my best friends I made when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, and I still have them. Yeah, that's the musician great. The best kind. So, yeah, and, and the one thing that that's I that I really love about you too, Vince, is that you know. You're idolized by so many people, but you're a regular guy. And to me, that's the most important thing there is, is to be a regular guy. I mean, be approachable. And, you know, when fans come up and they want to shake your hand or something like that, to acknowledge that. I mean, these are the people that, you know, I mean, listen, you've worked very hard at your craft and all that. But you have to be appreciative of of the people that that love you and uh you know you don't want to disappoint those people and you certainly don't i mean you're just one of those guys where i mean anytime you're around you know people feel warmth and all that and uh you know and i feel it and i really appreciate it when i called you to ask you to do this you were normando you know which is (laughs) i I used to play uh uh highlight in miami which is kind of like a racquetball type game it's a spanish game Mm -hmm. i used to play amateur highlight and that was my name, actually. You know, for everybody had to <laughs> take down the Spanish Don, name, Normando. You know, Normando. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I when I call him on the phone, he goes Normando. I yeah, immediately, I, yeah, you know. So, just a really cool thing, and I'm so grateful. And uh, David, Vince, Nick, could you take us out with just a little bit something else? You know, you want to lead the way. And again, this is I'm just dropping the ball right on their head. Whatever well, happens, happens I'll here. I'll follow you right off the cliff, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll just do this. Where have you been? Yeah. Right here, my friend. Oh, 
Lord, no man, no. Where, Where have you been? Hola, to all my friends. Will you give me a good deal on this guitar, my old friend? Anytime you like. All right, guys, I can't thank you enough. Thank you. This was a ball, and I love you guys for listening and watching this stuff. And, Vince, I'll give you a deal anytime. And thank you for coming in, and I owe you big for this. Yeah. And thank you, Thanks, guys. Man, that was great. Thank Thanks, you, Vince. Cheers. Peace and love. And now a new segment called What We're Playing, featuring Norman Harris, Vince Gill, Nick Dias, and David Becker. So Vince, you are playing like a 62, 63, Super 400 CESN for the natural finish. Uh, <laughs> why, why did you uh, uh, choose this guitar? A blondie, so I'd look thinner. <laughs> ah, it's a big guitar you can hide behind it you know? uh, i remember playing this guitar last time i came to see you and it's just it's kind of been haunting me for a while and just the neck shape is just suits my hand there's a uh an era of gibson 60 61 62 in there that's my guitars. favorite too kind of yeah. a it, thinner it fits my hand yeah. you know and 59s were too big and 58s were big some of the 57s were better but it's just anytime i find uh this era of early 60s Next, that suit my hand, and then the tone of it was was magnificent. You know, that's like as pure as you'd want a guitar yeah, to sound. Absolutely, with those high notes, they're not plinky. They're like that warm, beautiful, buttery. That's a PAF, right? Yep. Yeah. Gorgeous. So that's why. And it oh, looks, there you go. It looks just as fantastic from the back. That's a flamed maple three-piece neck with a stinger on it. It's eye, but yeah, the neck, neck, neck is fantastic. Gorgeous. Yeah. And, and David, you were playing uh, late 60s. It's a 68, yeah. And the reason I chose this one is because I bought a 68-175 from you. It was my first arch top when I was 17. <laughs> All of the these, they were man, kids so. when we first <laughs> met. You I, know, I feel like, you know, somebody's grandfather, well, I am somebody's grandfather three <laughs> times, but I feel like a grandfather all these guys it's too. It's your fault I, mean... I play Archtop because I came into the shop. I wanted to. I saw uh, the Charlie Christian model that Gibson put out that year, and I had had a Les Paul. It was a '77 like standard Les Paul, and I wanted an Archtop, and that was hanging on the wall, '68 175, and I was like, I gotta have it. So, well, yeah. I'll take the blame for all this nonsense. <laughs> you know, we all love guitars, and uh, you know, and I hope you guys do too. And there are common denominator that we all have. And Nick is playing. A it's 39 a, triple 018. Yeah. It's uh, just beautiful. As it should be. Yeah. Sounded awfully pretty. Yeah. Oh, that's the smile tap thing, right? It's yeah, just things it's, for days. Right? Yeah. Listen to that. Listen yeah. to that, Nigel. It's gorgeous, yeah. 1939, that's, uh, that's older than you, right? You know, the, the, I, I got to just say one thing. that, that I remember um, Chris Guest from Spinal Tap, he gave me the Spinal Tap magazine when they first came out. And it had the greatest line in there of any of the, uh, um, you know, even better than anything that I remember in the, in the movie. He said, uh, you know, those jazz players, you know, we play loud. We play like on 10 or 11. He says, you know we're good. You know, those jazz players, they just play so low, you just have to take their word for it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening to the podcast. And, and I just want to thank all my friends for coming out. I'm calling in a lot of favors, and I'm grateful, and I really am, and I'm blessed that I know all these folks. Thank you very much.